What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. I'm a juvenile literature librarian, and as a stereotypical manifestation of my profession, I love to read. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't read all day on the job. In fact, I'm lucky if I get five minutes to read at work during my lunch hour. And I did not become a librarian just because I love to read. But even then, reading and librarianship go hand in hand. One of the reasons I did become a librarian is because I love to learn about everything. And libraries, because they are the storehouses of information, are just great places to do that. Books are one of my go-to sources to learn new things, and children's books in particular are perfect places to explore the world around us. Let me tell you about one of my favorite series published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt that's called Scientist in the Field. This series takes a close look at the work scientists do in the field to study and understand the natural world. These books humanize the work that scientists do by getting up close and personal with the scientist and his or her team of researchers as they delve into problems and try to discover solutions. Each volume has stunning photographs of the scientists at their work. Some of the best photographers working in children's publishing today, including my own personal favorite, Nick Bishop, bring their expertise to this series. From the more commonplace connections to scientists working with frogs and elephants to the more esoteric like the kakapo, a flightless endangered bird from New Zealand, and the tapir, a snorkel-snouted mammal from Brazil, this series offers something exciting for every reader. Honored with prestigious awards, including the Robert F. Seibert Award and the Orbis Pictus Award, this series is authoritative and engaging. You and your children certainly won't go wrong if you dive into one of the amazing books from the Scientists in the Field series. And that's a little recommendation just for you from Rachel's World. This is Worlds Awaiting. Sometimes you can almost read in a dog's eyes exactly what he's thinking. But have you ever tried reading to a dog? Coming up, Rachel talks to the founder and director of a program called Read Dogs, which encourages this very thing for good reasons. Dogs can promote literacy. Kathy Klotz has directed Intermountain Therapy Animals, ITA, since January of 1997. Her journey to becoming the director of the Read Dogs program began when she volunteered with Foster, her Australian Shepherd, at the Deaf and Blind School and for the Primary Children's Residential Treatment Center in Utah. Here's Rachel and Kathy Klotz exploring the value of this furry approach to reading. We're here visiting with Kathy from Intermountain Therapy Animals, and she's involved in a wonderful program that combines dogs and literacy. So Kathy, tell us a little bit about how that combination goes together. I think most people wouldn't think that dogs and reading or dogs and literacy were a real natural combination, but but how does that work? How do they go together? Well, we have a basic need to connect with animals and nature. And a lot of research tells us at this point that when you're with a dog, your blood pressure goes down. Um, your heart rate slows, your breathing relaxes, and overall they can measure significant relaxation. So 
If you apply that to a child who is struggling with reading or nervous about what his classmates will think if he makes a mistake, um, it's really quite a natural phenomenon. Um, Of course, when people first hear about this, they think it sounds a little off the wall. Um, What do you mean, reading to a dog? Um, One of our one gentleman in in Idaho with we we had a a read team going to an after school program for kids with particular needs. Um, one little boy had Asperger's syndrome, and he would go home suddenly, and he's talking about reading to a dog, and his dad is like, "What are they doing over there now? You know, what kind of nonsense is this?" And so he went over to check it out and find out, and then he started paying attention, and he said, "It's amazing." He said, I started noticing how my son was talking about the dog all the time, even when he wasn't there, and how his interest in reading carried over, how he would read more at home. Um, So there's something about being with an animal that feels so good. Um, and we, it, it's a primary motivator. It's, it's something that intrinsically makes you feel better. You don't do it to get an outside reward to go cash in at a pizza place or something. You get it because you feel so good you want to come back and do it again. And it does carry over. It spreads through the rest of their lives. So that's, um, that's the basic of how it seems to work. That's a, that's a really good point because I I am kind of against these extrinsic motivators, especially that are not connected to reading in any right. way. When you, you read a bunch of books and you get a free pizza. Yes, I, yes. I think that that's really kind of pointless um, as a from a professional standpoint. And so I really like this sense of understanding that this is, this is more about the intrinsic and even the emotional connection yes. that goes through reading. So how have you seen that emotional connection really working to help kids become better readers? Uh, well, again, because they don't feel judged, they feel safe in exploring and experimenting a little bit. They don't feel bad if they make a mistake. Um, they can laugh about it and they can, they get to practice all their communication skills. It's not merely fluency and comprehension. Um, and we've seen it, we've seen it work in so many interesting ways. One little girl, um, absolutely refused to read out loud. But she did agree to read to a dog, and the first time she was doing it, she's she's reading along, and at, she turns one page and goes, oh! and so she turns the book for the dog to see. And the handler leaned over to see what she was exclaiming about, and she snatched the book back, and she said, not you, just him. Because they immediately trust the dog. They don't necessarily trust a person, you know. Yeah. And that is one thing unique thing about your program is that you actually make the connection between the human and the animal. So it's not just a child sitting in a room reading with a dog. There's actually a human presence there that can do some intervention. Yeah. Um, but in this particular situation, the human was kind of a hindrance. But what what other things does the human offer to help build the kind of literacy skills that these children need that, that the dog probably couldn't? Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, let me back up. In in regular therapies, it, again, that trust factor, they trust the animals so implicitly. Lots of times, people that have been really damaged and need to talk about things for their therapist, they won't do it because they don't necessarily trust a therapist because it's the people they should have been able to trust most who violated that trust. Um, but when an animal is there, suddenly they trust and they will open up and start talking about things. So that same thing can happen in the reading environment. And the handlers are trained to um, learn the various techniques that are supporting. They're never critical. They don't ever snuff a child in the way they respond. Like, you know, it's never, no, that's wrong. You know, it's let's try this or what about that. And often the kids are more willing to talk about things and about how they feel with the handler because they already trust the dog. Does that make sense? It just yeah. kind of spills the, over. It spills over. So mm-hmm. the trust in the dog, trust because this person loves this animal, they probably will love me too yeah. in kind of a spillover sense. And they, they get a chance to... Um, become more familiar with animals. Many of them have not ever lived with a pet, or maybe they've only known scary dogs, for instance, and they see what kindness and support can do for, you know, it feels good to them. They see how it works with the dog. They learn to be respectful and kind of animals, and that's that's spreads, too, for them. And that's an interesting kind of sub-benefit of this program, not just the building the reading, but also building this better understanding of the natural world that we Mm -hmm. live in and how we interact with animals in this world and and how to be uh, positive about those kinds of interactions as well. That That's a great benefit to, that this program has in addition to the literacy. Yeah, well, another story comes to mind yes, here. Yes, please. <clears throat> um, a little girl came in to participate the first time just angry and upset, and she said, so what is this all about? What am I going to be doing here? And the handler said, well, we thought it would be fun if you would sit and read a story to my dog. And she immediately just screamed at the dog, sit down. And um, the dog looked with wide eyes at her and didn't move a muscle. And the handler said, well, you know, um, when she thinks you're mad at her when you use that tone, so... She said, but how am I going to get her to sit if she won't do it? And she said, well, how do you feel when somebody uses that tone with you? And um, she said, why don't you just try saying sit and see how that works? And so she crossed all of her fingers behind her back, you know, and um, the little girl tried it, and her dog immediately sat down in response. And she said she'll never forget the look that came over that little girl's face when she saw how much more effective that was and how... Everybody felt good about it. She said it just, her face lit up with joy at getting the dog to do something and using a nice way to do it. That's amazing. I think that that's incredible. And it helps this that sense of how do we interact with other people? How do we interact with the world? Mm. And that definitely develops a broader sense of our literacy and engaging with the world in a in a broader way than just the text might do. But the text is an important part of this yeah. whole thing. How do you and your handlers or the groups that work with them pick the books? Do the kids pick the books that they read to the dogs? Or do the librarians or teachers that are involved in the program pick those books? 
There's a zillion ways. Depends on every setting is different. Um, we always have the reading specialists and teachers involved in the program. So if there's particular books they're supposed to be reading, they start with those until they can accomplish what they need to. A lot of our handlers bring like rolling suitcases full of a little mini library, and they learn things about the child. Um, so if somebody likes dinosaurs or ladybugs or whatever it is, they'll come back the next week with you know, extra books that are on things that they think the reader might find fun. And um, libraries, sometimes they'll specialize, like this Saturday it's all about jungle animals, and they'll get out a bunch of books that feature that. Um, so there's a lot of ways to do that. It, it brings in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a great thing, too, because it provides a wide range for the students to be able to engage not only with the dog, but also with a wide range of literature as well, particularly if they haven't had experience with some of these types of books. So when you were uh, working with your dogs, did you do some of the read dog programs with your yes, personal we were, dogs? Yes, we were way back in the first phase when we opened the Salt Lake Library. And I can't help mentioning that when the new Salt Lake Library opened, um, the, the architect from Boston was there and other dignitaries, but they had a read dog pull the ribbon to open the new oh. library. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> that is wonderful. I remember that happening. <laughs> so what what was one of Foster's favorite books when he was out reading with kids? <laughs> well, there's a new one now by uh, Jules Pfeiffer's daughter with illustrations by him, the famous cartoonist, um, about a dog that had no tail, which Aussies have no tail. And um, all these things he did to get himself a tail and, and feel more adequate around other dogs. And then it turned out he learned to accept himself the way he was and realize how special he was just with his own skills. The Jules Pfeiffer book, I love his stuff. Yeah. He, he, he does a lot of great things with animals. He also yes. does some cat books, <laughs> even though we won't mention cats today. Cause no, but you can. The, we have read cats. Read ca- oh, read cats. Yes. Tell us about read cats. Uh, we're, you know inclusive. We have a few... <laughs> Your interspecies it, inclusive. <laughs> yeah, it's harder for a cat to do therapy work than any other species because they they like places and they don't like to ride in cars and visit strangers for the most part, but we have a few. Um, we've got a miniature horse or two. Um, we received um, a letter from a uh, professor of the at the American School in Khartoum, that the, the children in his class loved the idea of read so much that they pooled their pennies and bought a little donkey to read to. <laughs> um, dogs are the most, though. We've got 96, 97% dogs. But the other animals, and do they receive the same training and or similar training? Species appropriate, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, That's often amazing. for parents at home, a lot of people will say, you know, the, they might suggest that they read to their pets at home. If your own dog at home isn't well enough trained or calm enough to sit with children, often cats are brilliant at it at home because they will curl up in laps and listen. So often cats can be better personal read read participants at home. Instead of institutional read participants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much for being with us today, Kathy. Thank you. That was Rachel Wadham speaking with Kathy Klotz, director of Read Dogs. Next, our own Clara Goodwin talks with Katherine Baus, who created a reading program at a public library in Novi, Michigan. Katherine is also a storyteller at the library, where she is affectionately known as Mother Goose. 
She often brings puppets to the reading times, including her favorite sidekick, a little furry bird called Beaks. Here's Clara and Catherine Baus. We are here today with Catherine Bausch. Catherine is the Youth Programming Coordinator at the Novi Public Library in Novi, Michigan. Thanks for being with us today, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Uh, so can you kind of tell me about this program? You are the Mother Goose at Novi Public Library. So can you tell me about that? Sure. Um, two years ago, um, I had the idea of creating an ambassador for our public library. Um, and I thought... Um, it would be a great way for the library to have a recognizable figure that could go throughout the community and um, share literature and just be recognized as someone from the library. And we thought, well, what better character than Mother Goose? And she's a classic that everyone knows and children can approach well. She's not a costumed figure, you know, with a covering on her face. They're sometimes scary. And so um, we thought it was a perfect fit, and it turned out that it was. And how did you get started with this? How did you get the idea for Mother Goose, and how did it uh, get implemented into the library? Well, when I thought of um, creating some kind of figure to um, do outreach, um, I thought of different um, characters or you know what would be relatable to someone in literature, someone that's relatable to children, and I thought of Mother Goose right away. I've always, you know, grew up with her rhymes and stories and things like that, and I thought, oh, that's something maybe we could do. So I approached our director, and um, they loved the idea, and I luckily had a friend who was a master seamstress, and she could pull together a costume for me. And then we started hammering out some of the details of, you know, what her responsibilities would be and, um, you know, what use could we put her to. And so how have you noticed that this program has impacted the children in your community? Well, whenever um, I do anything for the library, when we have events and programming at the library, um, big events that involve the whole community, um, I will come, and I usually am sitting in my chair, and the children um, see me at these different events, and um, they come up to me, and there's a lot of photo taking, <laughs> and um, so they get comfortable seeing me. Then also some of um, the businesses in our community also um, who work with children to some degrees um, have asked me to come to their events. Sometimes I'll come just as Mother Goose to be there, but... Oftentimes, most times, I go to do a story time with them. And with these story times, how do you choose what books to read from? Oh, wow. Well, when I do a Mother Goose story time, I will often do a lot of um, short rhymes and um, finger plays and small songs that are Mother Mm -hmm. Goose-like. Then I'll also choose some of her collections, and I'll read from those. Intermixed in those, I'll put a few more traditional rhymes and things like that in those. And sometimes the preschools will give me a a theme rather than just giving um, my own choice of books. They'll say, well, we really would love for you to do a Thanksgiving theme. And when I do that, I just um, go from my own experience. I do a lot of story times at the library, not as Mother Goose. (laughs) And so um, I've got experience, you know, just choosing books that are suitable for the age and things like that. 
And I've heard that you will sometimes include pictures and puppets. Can you tell me about your little sidekick? <laughs> wow, yeah, I do. I have a little sidekick. His name is, um, B- or, well, I have two. I've got okay. um, Gabby the Goose, and she's my white stuffed goose who comes along with Mother Goose all the time. Um, and she competes when I'm not Mother Goose with beaks. And so my alter ego, Miss Catherine, um, she has beaks. But um, Mother Goose has Gabby the Goose, and um, the children love to just pet my stuffed animal. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is so fun. Uh, and something else that we've heard about, you will sometimes do different languages for the story time. So how do you incorporate that diversity into the library? Oh, okay. Well, that's a little bit separate um, than our mother goose. Our international story times, um, well, I'm the programming coordinator at the library, and so we have different things that we offer. And one of the things are our international story times. And what we do there, we have a very diverse community in Novi, and we really want to provide um, something for, you know, everyone. And there seems to be a lot of interest in um, people from different cultures presenting their own story times in our library to all patrons. And so what we have is um, we've got, let's see how many, about eight, seven or eight wow. different native speakers who um, come to our library three times a year. And for two weeks, they present um, a story time in their language. They do um, songs and crafts and stories for children. Most of the children that come to their story times do speak the language that they're presenting in, although they're open to everyone. And a lot of parents do like to have exposure for their little ones to other different languages and other cultures, and so they'll bring them as well. But all of the story times are presented in that language by our Native presenters. And have you noticed that uh, the kids learning all these different languages and coming to those events, have you noticed that that's made a difference for them? Um, I've sat in and on many of the international story times, and I also teach a lot of the same children that attend, like, for example, our Japanese story time um, women do a fabulous job with their story times, and the room is filled with these precious little Japanese children who are paying very close attention to what she's saying, and they understand what she's, what she's saying and enjoying it. I also give story times in English <laughs> um, six times a week, and when I do those, a lot of the same children will come to my story times, and they seem to enjoy the English ones equally. I think the children really do get something from it, but it's interesting to see what they learn as far as English when they come to my story times as well. And you seem to be, or to do a pretty good job of getting the kids involved in these story times. Uh, can you tell me a little about Snack Tales? Snack Tales! Snack Tales is another program that we offer at the Novi Public Library. And um, basically what it is is um, I came into that program after it had already been created, but it was something that I would have created if it had not been existing (laughs) because I love cooking and I love food, and I've always loved to cook with my children. And so what we do is we start off with sharing a few stories, two or three stories, to a group of, um, I think we have 36 is our maximum, 36 uh, kindergarten through fourth graders. 
And um, we share those stories, and then I'll often say, well, based on these stories, can you guess what we're going to be making in Snack Tales today? Because I try to keep the stories to fit the theme of what we're making. And so um, they'll take their guesses, and then we'll go on to the um, activity room where we do our cooking. And in there, we'll make some kind of a food craft. Now, we don't have ovens, so it's... Um, we can do cooktop kind of things or um, use electric skillets, but pretty much it's mainly no heat kind of projects. We make yummy, tasty things. <laughs> I love that. Do you have any like tricks or any uh, tactics you use when you can notice that maybe kids aren't too happy about the things they're reading? Well, um, I guess I, the thing I can speak to is when I'm doing my my story times. If I notice I'm losing them, I really try to reach out and try to get them to interact with me and with the book. So, for example, if there's any way I can incorporate some kind of a movement or a gesture or a, a call or something that um, would give another um, one of the senses involved, you know, rather than just listening, then I absolutely love to do that. Anything that involves getting up and wiggling or um, acting something out, I'm all about it. And that usually brings them in and gets them engaged. I try to use my voice in a way that keeps their attention. You know, if it's an exciting thing, I try to make that clear. I get really quiet and then they grasp onto that. Um, That's pretty much what I do. And why do you think it's important for these kids to have a passion about reading at such a young age? With my own children, I think I've seen some of my children really enjoyed reading as children, and um, maybe others didn't enjoy it as much. And I can just really see how a continued love of reading when you're little progresses and grows and really makes a huge knowledge base for them. It also just makes it so much easier when not just when you're reading for fun and when you're reading for interest, but when you're reading for school purposes, that it really helps them a lot. I think also just bringing them to the library and being exposed to the books then um, and being able to choose, you know, what would you like to read and let them, you know, make those kind of choices with literature. A child may be, love poetry or may enjoy, you know, some kind of nonfiction more or something. I just have seen how story times and taking children to the library just develops that early reading habits and love of literature that I see helping them later down the line. And do you have any advice for parents who maybe have children who aren't as interested in reading? I think read to them. Um, If they don't want to read by themselves, um, at least having them be exposed to the sound of reading, um, I think is really beneficial. Plus, it has a, a bond between parent and child, um, just the time that you spend reading with them. Yeah. I think that's important. And finding the literature that they that they like best, I think that's really important as well. If some kid is really into dinosaurs, find everything you can on dinosaurs, <laughs> whether it's you know a picture book or nonfiction or a pop-up book. Just get it in their hands and and let them go with that. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Catherine. Sure. Thank you. 
That was Clara Goodwin and story lady Catherine Baus of the Novi Michigan Public Library on Worlds Awaiting. We're going to finish up today's program with some well-known and much-beloved poetry by Emily Dickinson, shared by Merritt Meekham. Hope is the Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all and sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me There is no frigate like a book by Emily Dickinson. There is no frigate like a book to take us lands away, nor any coursers like a page of prancing poetry. This traverse may the poorest take without oppressive toll. How frugal is the chariot that bears a human soul. That was Merritt Meekham reading two poems by Emily Dickinson. Never shy away from sharing poetry with children. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org. <laughs>